Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. At 14.30 hours, the Boulder Police Department began receiving phone calls of shots fired in the area and a phone call about a possible person with a patrol rifle. Officer Talley responded to the scene, was the first on the scene, and he was fatally shot. Mike Murphy, sad day. And before we get to our usual BS, let us pay our respects to Officer Talley, who had seven children, and the nine other people who died in that grocery store in Boulder, Colorado. Very, very sad. And you could hear it in the, in the police chief's voice as she made that announcement. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, we have had these tragedies, Atlanta, now Boulder, of course, the Capitol insurrection, and also the killing of Officer Brian Sicknick. I mean, there are far too many uh, American civilian casualties and, and dead hero cops through all this. And, you know, we, we, we've been to this pain before in other places. Uh, and maybe this time we'll turn it to action. I'm sure we'll talk about the politics uh, later here. Yeah, I'm, af- I'm afraid but, uh, we have to. Yep. No, it, it is what we do as hacks and good times are bad. Uh, so as we as we uh, put those uh, those heroes in our thoughts, we're, we're move on to politics and we're we're going to we have a fun guest today. This is one of the few people in politics I can say I have known and has been a friend of mine for 30 years seven years back in the 1980s because you've lost most of your other friends from well politics. no that, that's true that, that's true the, the very few i had now that my mother doesn't pay them to be my friend anymore it was a, a small list to begin with but anyway tony fabrizio the great republican strategist and pollster the king of florida now um we go way back when we were just a couple of punk kids hooked up with a little thing called ronald reagan's re-election and uh it, tony it is fabulous to have you here on hacks on tap well, thank you, Mike. It's good to see you again after all these years. And David, uh, it's good to be back together with you again. Yeah, good to have you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You got a lot of insights. We need to bleed you dry in the next hour of, uh, <laughs> of all your wisdom. So that, that should only take about five minutes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start uh, uh, on, the, on this sobering uh, note because, you know, um, uh, I tweeted, I always hate to start a sentence that way, but a little bit ago that there is a familiar pattern to these things. These, these, these massacres happen. Politicians express thoughts and prayers. People who oppose gun safety laws say don't, don't dishonor the victims by politicizing their deaths. No gun laws would have stopped this. There's a lot of anxiety and a lot of uh, speech making. And then we move on. And I guess my question to you guys is, is there any reason to believe this moment is going to be different? Do you see anything happening? And how do you see, you guys are uh, from a, a, diff- a different tribe and sub-tribes within that tribe. Tell me how you think this thing plays out. Uh, I, I, I think first, um, you know, it sounds trite, but it is tragic when something like this happens. And uh your heart goes out to everybody uh, who's been involved. And, you know, you, everybody sits around waiting to find out what the motive for these tragedies were. And, uh, 
you know, some, you know, the, the motives never really uh, make sense in a lot of cases to us why somebody can do something like this. But from a purely political standpoint, um, if there ever was a time in American politics where there could be motion rather than just jaw gnashing or teeth gnashing, uh, it would be now because for a large measure, the NRA is in a regrouping Flat period themselves. Back, yeah. mm -hmm. um, but that being said, um, the country is so polarized politically and guns is one of the issues that they are very polarized around that even with the absence of the NRA as an active or an overactive player in this space, I'm not so sure that a consensus can be reached on anything that would be seen as middle of the road here. I don't know. Maybe Mike has a different opinion. No, I'm, I'm kind of with, you know, gun politics and gun policy are a tricky area because uh, they're different yet connected. Now, one of the problems with gun policy is there are 14 million high capacity rifles out there. Uh, Jersey had a had passed, got through the courts, a magazine capacity ban to keep it to 10 bullets in some of these pistols that can fire a lot of shots quickly that were designed for law enforcement originally. And, you know, nobody turned in their magazines and you can't go door to door. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of hard ways to get the, get the toothpaste back in the tube from just practicality. Then you get to the politics of it where things are kind of dug in. And look, I agree with Tony, the NRA is a business. They turn outrage into cash and and, you know, they're having kind of a Soprano-style internal brawl. They're in trouble from a litigation attack yeah, from a lot of attorney It's a pretty good business for Wayne LaPierre. Oh, it's a good business for a lot of them. Ackerman McQueen, it's a whole uh, – It's it's a whole. I, I highly recommend Confessions of a Gun Lobbyist, a great book by my friend Richie Feldman, who was an NRA lobbyist. Because, look, I'm a Second Amendment conservative, but I've got no problem closing the gun show loophole. I've got no problem with really stringent background checks. I know, I know what a high-capacity weapon can do. I, I don't want to hand them out like uh, guard years so but anyway point is the politics of it are going to be kind of jammed up because the democrats in the in the in the hard calculation want to do something they want the outrage they want the politics and the republicans have a, a coalition with some interest groups so as tony says they're back on their heels but still a lot of a lot of power that makes it dangerous to do very much on guns that said there's i think there is a, a ray of hope for some small gun control, gun show loophole and background checks. That's popular even with Republican voters. Maybe there's a way to do it. background checks. Yeah, may, if, if maybe there's a way, but, you know, if it, the Senate was 55 Dem and you needed four or five hours to fall off, it's a lot more doable than the kind of numbers they need in a in a 50-50 deal. Biden's going to come under pressure now uh, and Schumer on, you know, this is every time something like this comes up, the filibuster will be in the middle of that. Uh, yep. discussion because uh, that they may never get to 60 on an issue like this, even if as 90 percent of the country, including a majority of Republicans, uh, uh, support some of these, some of these. But Tony, uh, you know, my we always talk about this. I, I don't think we I don't think we talk about it the way uh, uh, at least people on the right side of the debate talk about it, because the unspoken thing um, is, you know, we don't want the government disarming us. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's talked about as if, well, we want these guns to protect ourselves. But the real isn't, I mean, I may be wrong about this, but isn't the real juice 
you know what? Uh, we need to we need to keep these weapons as uh, uh, protection against an overweening government. There is. I mean, as as with anything, David, there are shades of uh, gun owners, uh, gun activists, if you want to call them Second Amendment activists. And as you both pointed out, there is strong support even among Republicans with a number of these uh, potential proposals, background checks, loopholes, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a group of Second Amendment activists that absolutely believe that, you know, anytime you pass a gun law or a gun restriction, the fact of the matter is, is that that's government trying to take away our guns or take away our rights to have guns. Whereas there are other people at the other end who are what I would call soft gun owners where they own guns, but they're more likely to support uh, what they would consider uh, reasonable restrictions on those guns. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the vocal ones, well, the problem, but the fact is that, that the vocal ones are the ones that are at the opposite end. The ones that are, you know, you will pry it out of my cold, dead hands right. before right. I give you my that's gun. That's where the juice is. That's where the juice is. And, and primarily, that's where the juice is, is that's because where the, that's where the NRA has been. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where the money is. You know, right. the intensity is the money a- on both sides. Frankly, there are, there are liberal gun groups that are would take something moderate, but would rather go all the way. That's where the money is for them. And it polarizes the debate in a crazy way. The big pro- if the Dems overreach on this, they're going to bring the NRA back to life. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you're going to see that. You know, I, I think you're going to see uh, if I'm sitting in the White House and I'm Schumer, I'm going to I'm going for the things that are 90 percenters. That would be a smart play. Yeah. No, I think that would be the smart Good play. Good wedge vote, too, for 2022 if they do yes. it right. Yeah. Yes. All of this, <laughs> I, I'm having flashbacks. to. Well, before we get off the gun gun point, let me just ask Tony one question, because you, you buried the lead on Tony, which is he, he, he polled for President Trump. Uh, back in 2018, when the Parkland shooting happened, you know, there was a period of time when Trump leaned forward and 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 uh suggested that he would that. support gun safety laws and then uh, the NRA guys visited him at the White House and he you know with all due respect he healed like a trained chihuahua and that was the end of it uh what what tell me about what the politics were back then what were they thinking back then well i you know um the NRA was the NRA then and so um, you know, listen, you don't have to, the NRA had a really big bark and they had a perceived really big bite. And if you go back to 2016 in the 2016 election, particularly during the primaries and in the general, you remember that the NRA came out very early and endorsed Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And so that's something he did not forget. And it was one of the things, the two things during the 16th primary period or towards the end uh, going into the convention was the NRA endorsement and coming out with the list of people he would make judges. Those things in their mind were very important for him. uh, Certifications with conservatives. Right, 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 right. So his instinct when Parkland happened was to go with something reasonable and sensible. And by the way, that gave permission for a number of other Republican electeds in the state of Florida to go along with several things like mm-hmm. that. 
Um, and I mean, he had the power to give permission. What happened was, is that there was uh, as best as you could figure is there was kind of a freak out. The NRA freaked out by it, right? The members in both house and the Senate freaked out because the NRA freaked them out. And so everybody was worried that we were going to lose the base, so to speak, especially heading into uh, what appeared to be a contentious midterm election. P.S. We know how the midterm election yeah. turned out. It was <laughs> not, you know, I mean, but this is the stuff that happened. If Mike and I had a nickel for every time we heard that if you don't do this, the base isn't going to turn out, you know, we wouldn't have to be doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, come on. You you boys have plenty of nickels. Come on. Well, well, uh, uh, well, I live in California. Pay that. <laughs> Not after Biden's but, wealth tax. Act. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, no. To this point, because this is a really important point. One of the things I mean, Tony and I have been around so long. We've seen the party go from kind of an accretive electoral math. How do you get ticket splitters? How do you get conservative Democrats to thinking like a catalog business, which is we have our people and we have to please them. And what's happened, and I think this has been a big mistake and a reason, one of the reasons we've, we've lost a lot of elections, is we now treat our base voters like swing voters, like they're fickle, and we're going to lose them at the drop of a hat. The, you know, the base voters, in my experience over time, have mostly been like Napoleon used to look at his infantry. They're there to march, die, and get me a new army. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> they pretty much will vote for an R with a, 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 or vote for a box of hammers with an R on it, so to speak. So, but we, we coddle them a lot, and this created, I, I love that Tony said, perceived bite, because I think we both know that if a smart, popular Republican president did a small gun thing, totally get away with it. In fact, would grow in some of those suburban areas we've lost, Absolutely. which is one of the reasons right. we're in the minority in the Absolutely. house. But, but we have this, this, the base is a fickle child that will, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to move to Mars. They're going to stay home. They're going to vote for Pelosi, but this is the fantasy that is a problem in the party. Isn't it the stay home scenario? I mean, isn't that yeah, isn't- and a presidential though? People vote. You know, one of the biggest fights I would have consistently during 2020 was the whole notion that you could lose your base. Yeah. It was almost like I was reliving the scene with Michael Corleone and his mother and the Godfather where he says to, goes to the mother and says to the mother in Italian, Ma, can you ever lose your family? And she looks at him and she says in Italian, you could never lose your family. Your family's always yours. It's the same thing here. And mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about Donald Trump. I mean, they had invested so much in him that the thought that a big portion of them was going to walk away or that they weren't energized was laughable. It was just laughable. Yeah. And it never I just, was. I just, want to, I just want to interject for the record that it was the Italian and not the Jew or the Irishman who invoked the Godfather reference. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I'm allowed to. <laughs> yeah. But Tony will say that for those of us who've been doing our politics for 30 years, uh, the Godfather is pretty much the instruction manual for how we of all flavors. But, but go it, ahead. it was it was it, it was very frustrating because there was no understanding that Donald Trump redrew the contours of the Republican Party and that what he did, by and large, they were going to go along with no matter what. You know Which is how saying? he got away ideologically in the campaign right. with some stuff that would have killed a normal candidate. Right. Right. You know, it was more. Th- yeah, I couldn't agree with this more. And, and what Mike said is so true about, you know, looking, you know, not looking at swing voters, but looking at the base and just trying to grow the base. Now, I will tell you, turnout in this last presidential was bonkers. I mean, yeah. by anybody's estimate, it was right. I mean, 
And, you know, when we were sitting there looking, you know, I thought maybe the top end would be 153. You know, we talked about this on the IOP thing. But, you know, to have almost 160 turnout was yeah. phenomenal. And you say, where are you going to get these voters from? But guess what? Both sides found the voters yeah. to turn out. And they did. And you got to give Trump credit. He did boil the pot so much that people connected totally to the election for good or bad. To circle back to guns, though, I think if we had to predict, Schumer will probably do a crafty wedge vote on something in the middle, and he might peel an R or two, but I doubt he gets to 60. Do you guys he's gonna Well, he's that? already said he's going to do it, and, and he's got his – look, first of all, let me just say for the record, it should be done. I think it should be done. Even, you know, you can argue about how many lives these laws would save, but even if they save a few, no, I no, net net is worth they, it. They, they, they should be done. But uh, he also has, he's looking over his left shoulder at all times now um, because he's worried about a primary in 2022. He's going to, they'll put this on the floor. And it will, if the Republicans do what, you, you, what they probably will, it's just going to further cement that uh, it's going to further exacerbate their problem with these suburban voters. You know, just a quick interjection. I, uh, I wrote a movie about gun politics, uh, which we're out financing now. It's a fascinating world. So I've been obsessed with it for Is years. This a solicitation? Or? No, 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 no. But one of the more interesting <laughs> ideas. Go fund me. One of the, what, because the big problem is, are we passed a law? You can't use an assault weapon to murder a lot of people. The next day, somebody's going to use an assault weapon to murder a lot of people because there are 15 million of them. Yeah. But a buy, for the cost of an aircraft carrier, which is not small, but the way we're spending trillions now like they're chiclets, uh, you can drag a lot of $3,000 uh, piles of cash through a lot of trailer parks. You could probably get a third to half of them gone. Uh, which would actually have a real impact as opposed to adding another law, which I'm for, by the way, I'm for, I'm for reasonable gun control. I'm just pessimistic at work. So these buybacks, which have worked in other countries are very interesting. Tony, you're new to the, so this is going to be a very, an elegant segue. So watch, watch this. <laughs> it's a so, specialty. All right. Three, <laughs> so, three, everybody has some, two. Everybody has something they do. All right. This here we money. go. Here we go. Now yeah. watch out so, for whiplash. You know, what, what, I've, what I've been thinking uh, as someone who lived through a few years in the White House, is that just a few weeks ago, uh, the White House announced that they were going to go on a three-week tour to promote the American Rescue Act. Last week was supposed to be in Atlanta on Friday, and then this mass shooting happened, and that turned into uh, an event about hate crimes against Asian Americans. Um, there were supposed to be, I think there's another one today uh, somewhere, and obviously, this is you, and it just underscores that you can't. It's very, very hard to keep the race car on the track in the presidency because events take you off, and you can't do anything. You have to respond uh, to events. Uh, another one that obviously is welling up here is the border. There's your segue. How about that? That's a great segue. Under three minutes, too. So on every way, an achievement. Um, <laughs> Can I comment on what David said? Yeah. One is you have to have an intent to want to have a plan to roll out what you want to roll out. So, I mean, from that standpoint, I give them credit for having a plan. Now, oh, no, no, no as, doubt. Yeah, and and we all know that you know. I'm not life criticizing. Happens. I'm just no, no, no. This, I, is, this I, is the reality of life in the White House, right? Um, but you know, it, it is the reality because you never know what the next day is going to bring you. That's for sure. Well, you know that the next day brought you a pandemic. <laughs> yes, 
You thought you were on your way to the president, to re-election. You know, that's, in fact, I was talking about that with um, a couple of people who worked in the White House the other day. I was in D.C. and we were were chatting. And it's amazing. Uh, I saw him, well, one of the times I saw him was March 11th, the day that he gave his speech that night. And it was like you sitting in that room, you know, you sit in these rooms and you don't realize how consequential you yeah, guys know right, this. Sure. Sitting in those rooms are. And I don't think we fully realized how much life was going to change at that moment. Yeah. And looking back on it now, how much life had changed or has changed in that moment. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's just amazing. To put a button on that one, I, I think what it underscored is there are certain things that just don't yield to force of will. Yeah. Donald Trump is, is used to things yielding to his force of will. You can't spin a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it cost him. And uh, obviously your numbers showed it cost him. So, yeah. uh, so here we are. And I think the problem in the White House today is how do you spin a migration crisis at the border, which again is something very hard to control because people choose to go to the border based on the presumption, assumption, rumor, or, you know, paid agitators saying, hey, it's all open now. Come on up. And next thing you know, they show up. And then you got a crisis and you find a Democratic administration that ran against Trump's alleged cruelty on all this, uh, kids in cages, all the terrible things that happened, uh, separating families. So, you know, this is this was always the thing. Careful about running for president because then you're on the other end of the pitching machine. So what do you think they're going to do, Axe? Because it's a tough policy thing. And I know they don't want to wind up in, in, in Trump land on this. I, you know, I don't, from a policy standpoint, I don't know. I, from a, from a presentation standpoint, I think, you know, he's got to be even firmer in his message about not coming, about the border being closed. Um, you know, his instinct is to, uh, is to want to be welcoming. Uh, but, you know, obviously, uh, they're overwhelmed now. I mean, that just, you know, the story overnight was they're now renting hotel rooms. And you know in the culture war environment how that's going to play. Um, you know, so they've got, they've got a problem on their hands. And he's got, by the way, a press conference uh, that they schedule. Another thing that they schedule before, before I think, the two uh, gun uh, massacres and you know, and obviously they knew the border was a problem, but it's a bigger problem. Now he's going to have to handle all those things uh, on Thursday when he does this press conference. But uh, look, they're going to have to be firmer. Um, and, uh, you know, the, he sent a crew down to uh, down to Mexico and Central America to talk to the governments there. The big problem you mentioned, uh, profiteers. I mean, these coyotes uh, are, uh, you know, they're the ones who are stirring people up and encouraging them to think that it it's going to be fine. And so there needs to be a crackdown. They need to deal with uh, asylum cases at the point of origin, and they need to set that up and make and actually enforce it. But I don't know, man, it's not an easy problem. Yeah, I think he's going to take a beating. I will tell you that uh, from a purely political standpoint, it is manna from heaven for Republicans. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Um, and I think you know this, but immigration, illegal immigration is the one issue that really unites kind of all the factions of the Republican Party um, for differing reasons. Uh, and, and some groups have differing reasons 
for why they, you know, their position on illegal immigration. But it also, in effect, has given uh, President Trump a platform on which to climb up on again and take the bully pulpit. Uh, I don't know if he will ultimately or he won't, because if there's one issue that he is very clearly associated with, okay, it's immigration and the wall and all of those things. And, you know, it is going to be very interesting to see how this plays out in terms of people questioning, you know, how much he will lead the party or what role he will have in the party. Because if there is one issue that he will Mm -hmm. get wide berth from everybody in the party on, it's illegal immigration. And he was talking about it yesterday on Fox. So, uh, yep. you know, he's, he, 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 he doesn't need any uh, hints or reminders about that. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. You know, Mike, we've talked about this before, and everybody knows this has been a really difficult time for people this last year. And there's so much out there that gets in the way and prevents you from kind of achieving your goals. And, you know, the smart thing is to reach for help when you need it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now there's an easy way to do it. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment. It's, you know, it's convenient, Murphy. Absolutely. And you can start quickly. You can start communicating in 48 hours. And look, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And it's accessible. You can send a message to your counselor anytime, and you will get thoughtful and timely responses. Plus, you're in control. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Yeah, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available, which is great. You can access the service worldwide if you're a client, and you can find the particular expertise you need. You don't have to limit yourself to counselors just located near you. There are experts on depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleep problems, trauma, anger, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential, convenient, professional, affordable. So check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. So start living a happier life today. That's what X and I want for you. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at their website, betterhelp.com slash hacks. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash hacks. You know, for Biden, I think you, you ask, what will he do, Mike? You know, he he, he is cross-pressured here. I That's mean, the problem. Trump will be Bull Connor on one end, and his progressives will want to tear down the fence and have total. And so he'll be he'll be in the middle, pleasing neither. It's a very tough position politically. Yeah, and uh, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I guess my advice to him would be: do whatever whatever you need to do to uh, humanely but firmly establish control and be very transparent about it. 
I agree with that. Let me try a big transition here, which is, and this will have a little Republican slant because it is fun for me when there are two Republicans and one Democrat. So let me try my new transition. Well, knowing Biden, I think it'll involve giving somebody another trillion dollars because news broke today about a three trillion plus infrastructure plan they want to move the domestic politics debate to. Axe, why don't you start and then I'll go crazy over it. Start uh, judging you on the uh, on your segue or <laughs> no 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 I, that was issue. hopeless but uh, no no probably probably embrace it but uh, what do you think isn't that a big stretch you're going to bring fiscal conservatism back I think which I will be the first to say was totally checked out of by the by the Republican Party over the last four years you guys are like migratory birds you're 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 <laughs> seasonal deficit hawks so uh now there's a democrat like that i might steal that line (laughs) tony and i are old green eye shade guys from our days working for bob that's right well actually we'd be considered supply siders mike yes now we would yeah yes (laughs) well first of all i see they're thinking of dividing it into two uh different tranches and one is infrastructure and you know i think that on infrastructure you're going to get some take up on the part of uh, even Republicans, there is a hunger for that. It's long overdue. It's been crazy that uh, we, you know, we've had low interest rates for a decade now, and uh, yeah, we've we haven't got, done anything other than right. I mean, and we've got a de- decaying uh, infrastructure. So the, you know, I think that their thought is maybe we can get some, we can we can do that this um, outside of uh, budget reconciliation, and then put. Uh, the other stuff, the making the child tax credit permanent, making the uh, uh, enhanced earned income tax credit uh, permanent, making uh, uh, the uh, Affordable Care Act subsidies, per- put all of that in an infrastructure, in a uh, reconciliation bill. They get it to do it twice in two years, once a year with each budget. So they can do they can so that, I think that's the maneuver they're going to try and uh, and work through. Yeah, I, I don't know if the repubs will fall for it because they know. All right, what we're going to do is the bipartisan trillion dollar infrastructure plan, which will be a big fight because you know it costs seven times as much to build a road here as it does in Paris or Berlin. Uh, and Biden's not going to be the one to drop Davis Bacon reform on labor. But even if the repubs can go along with that, and I'm I'm for capital infrastructure spending. Then, then everybody know the Republicans are going to know, and next week you're going to ram two trillion in, in more programs uh, through us on reconciliation. So they they might not allow themselves to get peeled off. They might say we got to have some overall limits they to might get not. the get the trillion. I think that'll be the fight. And what is infrastructure? You know, we're all political hacks, so we always want to sell it as the bumper sticker: a billion new jobs and great new highways. Right. But is it capital spending? New bridge at an affordable cost so we don't pay eight times or seven times what the Germans would? Or is it programs that teach people, you know, aromatherapy candle making is job retraining is part of it. That's where the yeah. ideological I don't I don't think is. the Roman candle making will be in there, but the big point of conflict will be over uh, climate. And, you right. know, are you going to install, are you going to install, you know, a million uh, charging stations for electric cars? Are you going to... Um, you know, rebuild the electric grid uh, to make it more climate sensitive and so on. I would argue that I think there's another piece here and it's, it's just not the, the, the spending, but if they try to install any taxes in the bill to try to 
you know, cover some of the costs. And I think there would be a huge fight over taxes because there's already going to be a huge fight over when they try to roll back the Trump tax cuts and put in place any other tax increases. So I don't think that you, you know, we were talking before about a fight about guns. I don't think we could underestimate the fight or the will to fight over tax increases within the Republican Party. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right about that. Obviously, the tax increases they're going to fashion are going to be aimed at people, you know, as Biden said during his campaign, over 400,000. I think if you polled on taxing the wealthy, you'd probably get a pretty good number. The, the problem is that it will, you know, it will be depicted otherwise uh, by Republicans. And uh, there is, you know, look, underlying all of this, is a, a sense, I think, a misplaced sense, and a sense a sense that is some, you know, rooted in some ugliness. But there is a sense among a lot of Republican base voters that um, the spending that's being done is that, that they're going to be taxed for it, and others are going to benefit from it, and the others are generally poor uh, people of color in urban areas you know, who don't have the initiative that they have and so on. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's there, guys. And you hear it in focus groups. I'm sure, Tony, you hear it in focus groups. Like, uh, where's this money going to? And, you know, why should I pay for it? And so on. Uh, that's, you know, th- there is, again, a tension between the progressive proclivities uh, of the Democratic Party on some of these programs, uh that are meant to try and reduce uh, poverty, reduce uh, inequality, but uh, play into the Republican uh, caricature. And uh, you know, I, I think there's it's gonna it's a it's a tricky path to navigate. But the, but the one thing you, you brought up listening to it in focus groups and and yes, but I but I think one of the things that people fail to realize is over the last twenty years. The complexion of the Republican Party in the sense of who Trump has attracted to vote for him uh, and now consider themselves to be Republicans inside the party has changed in such that um, you, you know, you have much higher number of uh, less than college educated whites who are lower middle class to, you know, I don't want to say working poor, a lot of them in a number of places that are are truly Trumpers in the true sense of the word. And they're the ones that are now sitting in those focus groups and questioning where the money's going, which, you know, looking at it from an ironic point of view, you know, you look at the states that vote have the highest percentage or among the highest percentage of voting for Republicans in their states like Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, places like that, which also have the highest number. Yeah. West Virginia have the highest percentage of people receiving government aid. Right. Of most of the states. So there's, you know, it's this disconnect between and uh, you're right that they feel that the government is wasting the money. But a lot of it is who tells them that the money is being wasted or not yes. makes the difference on whether they think it's being wasted or not. Right. No, that's it. Well, and that's this. But that is going to be the barrage because the, the information silos are so hardened now that they're going to get that 
they're going to get that message. You know, I mean, if I were uh, if I were uh, the Biden team, I'd be pitching the universal the, the the near universality of a lot of these programs, childcare tax credits. That should be sold as a working, you know, as a program to support families and working families and so on. And I, I agree with the tactic, but w- one of the other complexities on top of all this for the White House is ground zero is going to be about 18 to 20 House seats because the House is close enough to easily flip and then the wheels mm-hmm. stop because right now Pelosi's Especially with redistricting. Stuff. Yeah, just stamp, pass, stamp, pass. Yeah, redistricting is going to get us close there. It's grim. And those are mostly more suburban, exurban districts that are fiscally more conservative. They were repelled by Mm -hmm. Trump, but tax increases or the perception Mm -hmm. of runaway spending, crazy Mm -hmm. government programs, blank check, progressives in control, uh, that is a huge club for the Republicans there. You know, our friend Mark Melman, the Democratic pollster and strategist, has been saying something for 20 years that's always rang a big bell with me, which is Democrats often make the mistake that politics is about economic class when it's really about culture. Yeah, and I think all these economic issues are. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead, finish, no, no, no. But I'll, you're right. You, you, can, you, you can, you can, well, <laughs> which may shorten up your point. You can argue that hey, cultural person who's not rich but doesn't trust big government programs, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these are good for you, um, but it, you know, often voters are. Our friend Alex Castellanos, uh, I'm sure Tony's heard him, is, is, always likes to refer affectionately to voters as goats because they're very stubborn. And when you tell them you're wrong, this is good for you. Well, you know, there's no guarantee they're going to say you're right. You're right, AOC. Well, no, and I, and I think that you know, as I've said here before, I think the the danger for the Democratic Party is that it it be, it moralize it it yeah, it's yeah, da- exactly. moralizing. And telling people what's good for them uh, is not a good look. But uh, no, I, I agree with you on that. But I mean, every to be honest with you, everything is turned into a cultural issue in this current environment, and that is what fuels a lot of what we see in American politics. Hey, Tony, what is uh, what's Trump up to? Do you think? I see he says he's starting his own social network. That's easier said than done. A lot uh-huh. easier said than done. Uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you that uh, I had spoken to him in the last several days. I haven't, uh, but from my conversations with the the people in the orbit, they're serious about the social media thing. I don't know that they understand the complexity in getting something done in two or three months. I think if you want to do it, it takes longer than that. It's probably a huge undertaking. I do know that they recognize that he's got tens of millions of people that would join and make something like that automatically successful. And so they're trying to figure out a way to capitalize on that. I think the other thing that they're focused on is very much on who they're going to find to run in specific races to settle, you know, whatever scores he wants to settle. Yeah, he seems pretty intent on that. Yeah, you saw that yesterday with uh, the endorsement in Georgia. I think you'll probably see more of that. Although I do think there is a lot of effort being made by the Lindsey Grahams and people of that nature trying to get him out early and getting Trump endorsing incumbent senators, you know what I'm saying? And, and he's done that in a number of places. But I still think there is, you know, it is very difficult, as you guys know, to try to predict what's going to happen 30 days from now uh, yeah. with him. And, and anybody who does is a fool because they're never going to be able to predict it. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. 
We've talked a lot about virtual private networks or VPNs. They add a lot of security uh, to your internet or Wi-Fi connection. But there's something you can do with ExpressVPN, our sponsor, that's really, really cool. And what is that? Well, when you access the internet through ExpressVPN, you get to pick your online location so you can control where you want sites to think you are located. Now, why is that cool? It helps you watch foreign movies, stuff that you might like on PBS that comes from the UK that's not here in the US yet. I heard about this. You open the app, select a location, tap one button to connect and refresh the page to access literally thousands of new shows and movies. You can choose from almost a hundred different countries. Like, I know you're an, an anime freak. You can watch Studio Ghibli films from UK Netflix. You Fantastic. can watch Japanese Netflix. You yes. can watch Doctor Who on UK Netflix. There's a whole world of foreign TV out there on these streaming services, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, and it's all accessible to you through ExpressVPN because that way the local sites think you're local. Yeah, and you can stream in HD, no problem, no buffering or lag. It's compatible with all your devices, your phones, your laptops, media consoles, smart TVs. Not only does it let you change your location, Mike, it also encrypts your data, which I know for you is particularly important given what you watch, and lets you surf the web safely and anonymously. Every time I don't encrypt, I wind up on a Chicago voter file. So I got to protect it for security, for the ability to surf the streaming television on a worldwide basis and be a uh, interesting virtual viewer. Check out ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap to get the special offer. Get this an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. ExpressVPN.com slash hacks on tap. Murphy, you guys are in different sects of the same tribe. Uh, you, you saw he's, you know, leaning forward on on Brooks in Alabama, the uh, who uh, we we last saw stirring up the crowd on January sixth. You know, we saw what he did in in Georgia. Now, uh, you know, Greitens, the uh, disgraced former governor of Missouri, is back. Yeah, in. Governor Duct Tape. Yeah. What does this mean for the? The Republican Party. I mean, I look, I, I, I can't tell the future. That's always the first rule of politics, particularly in recent days. I would say that in the Republican primary universe, Trump is Godzilla, but he's Godzilla in the rearview mirror. And if the elections were all tomorrow, I think he'd have a huge impact. But, you know, the primaries aren't tomorrow. And there's a lot to happen yet that is hard to quantify. And the one thing I know about politics is it's always changing. I just can't predict the rate of change. So I don't know if Trump in primary season next year is 90% of the Trump we have now, 120% because immigration brought him back, or 50%. And there's some, a new galaxy of stars. I, I just don't know. But uh, – uh, my gut is he will diminish. I don't know at what rate. And I just want to echo, I think, what Tony hinted at on this social media thing. I've done a lot of work in Silicon Valley. And the first thing you learn about these social media networks is you need a network effect. Google is powerful because everybody uses it. And the algorithm gets smarter from that scale. Facebook is powerful because you can find anybody on Facebook. Trump would have to get either he builds a bubble one which will help him talk to his supporters for free, which could be effective, but won't grow. 
you, you to build a competitive social media, you've got to have massive scale of people joining. And Trump, by definition, is a niche. He, he's a huge model train collectors club, which does not mix with traditional social media, at least to have a big growing organism. If he wanted a, a newsletter to his club, what we used to call a house file back in the direct mail days, he can sure yep. as hell do that. But it's not the same as being on Twitter or Facebook or mass media because it's very hard to get new recruits that way on a mass scale. So we're seeing it's big lift. Yeah, I, I, Mike, I, you're 100% right. But I think I think the question is, can they get those supporters to join something? And can it be monetized? And I think the answer to both of those things, even if we're talking about 20 million or 30 million people. Yeah, yeah, Glenn Beck. Yeah, uh, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it can no, be no, monetized I, can be and it can yeah. be and it can be effective. So I think, and the other thing I would say is about the primaries, we have elections for a reason. People choose, pick and choose, et cetera, et cetera. But while what Mike said is true in that politics is forever changing, the truth of the matter is, is that he has changed the contours of the party in such that it's changed the issue clusters within the party in terms of what they talk about and what they focus on. Mm -hmm. So even if he is 50% diminished from where he is today, you're still going to have that issue set that is going to be, you know, America first policies are not going anywhere. That's going to be something that Republican, yeah, right. His, uh, that's, Godzilla has heavy footsteps even. You got you got large turds too. Yeah. Uh, look, th this is a good transition to an incredibly interesting study that uh, Tony Fabrizio and his firm has done about the tribes of the Republican Party. So, Tony, you want to kind of walk us through over the course of time. We've done several topological studies of the party to try to get a better understanding of what the groups are within the party, and usually we focus that on issue segments within the party. However, you know, for the first time in the 30 years that we've been doing this, or the several times that we've done this, there really was basically uh, a tribal effect segmentation around Trump himself. And what we found was, is that, and this is aside from the issue stuff, because mm -hmm. while there are still different issue segments, where you are vis-a-vis -vis Trump is actually more impactful yeah. on your behavior than where you are, you know, on an issue per se, because there's a lot more agreement on issues than there is necessarily on Trump. Yeah, no, no. This is the new gravity field of the party. It's amazing. Yes, it's, it's, and, and, and I tell people all the time is that the argument in the olden days when Mike and I were coming up in politics was, you know, higher taxes, lower taxes, balanced budget amendment, you know, cut right. taxes. It was, right. you know, uh, it was the Pat Buchanan Fortress America types versus the Bush, you know, Reagan project American power. It was, you know, yeah, now, free trade, we, America first. Right, all the, right. Yeah. We agree on all those things pretty much now. And now the fight is, how close are you to the sun? The sun being Trump as the center of the Republican universe. And what we found is, is that there are basically five tribes within the party now revolving around Trump. And four of those tribes have an affinity for Trump. It just depends on where they see him relative to the future of the party. There is only one faction of the party that we call the never Trumpers, and they're about 15% of the party that hate him, think he did a lousy job as president. You know, hello. They would, they would, you're a never Trumper. One, right? one out of seven were good looking, but vastly outnumbered. <laughs> and, and they wouldn't, they don't want, you know, they don't want anything to do it. 
Now, right. the other four tribes of the party give him huge job approval ratings, image, so on and so forth. But where they differ is like what they see as his future in the party. So there is a group we call diehard Trumpers, and that's about 27% of the party. These are people who literally would walk through a wall for Donald Trump, literally walk through a wall. They're the people that if he led them to the cliff, they'd go right off with him on the cliff, okay? Then there's a group that we call Trump. Wait, what boosters. percentage was, was that? 27% of uh -huh. the party. Then there's a group we call Trump boosters. These are people who like him a lot, approve of the job he did, would vote for him again in a Republican primary, but they're, you know, they're not as committed as the diehard people are. In other words, they are more they likely to jump off the cliff. Huh? They're not going to jump off the cliff. They're more likely to look at potentially another choice to vote for in a future election, et cetera, et cetera. But they like his policies. They like the job he did, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's a group that we call post-Trump GOP. These people like him. They thought he did a great job, but they think it's time for the party to move on. They And that is 20% of the party. So the, so far, those three groups very supportive of him. The last group of the party is what we call InfoWars GOP. And the reason why we call them InfoWars GOP is, and they're 10% of the party. This is where we should bring in the theremin flying saucer music because I hear, <laughs> I, I hear the, 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 the word Q come. But yeah. I will tell you the reason why we call them InfoWars GOP is, well, one, they're very supportive of Trump. They're, they're almost as supportive as the diehard Trumpers. But the things that difference between those two groups is we tested several what you would consider QAnon theories, you know, like Angela Merkel is Adolf Hitler's granddaughter. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's a secret sex the ring. Jewish that Barack Obama, right, the, right, yeah. right. All mm -hmm. that. We tested several of them. And believe it or not, this 10%, they, 60% of them believed five or more of the conspiracy theories we tested. They believed them. The diehard Trumpers did not believe them. So we have this segment inside the party God help us. that really does believe in those things. And, but the rest of the party rejects them. In fact, that's the only group that QAnon has a net favorable image. The rest of the party looks at QAnon, and if they know then who they are, they have a negative opinion of them. All the rest of the groups, even the stronger Trump groups, have a negative opinion of them. So, and that group, interestingly, guess what? They where, guess where they get their information from? What news networks they get their information from? OAN, Newsmax, OAN, and Fox. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing that's very important here is guys. I'm going to leave the broadcast for one sec to go short the U.S. dollar, and I'll be right back. <laughs> I want to get a trade in. <laughs> but, 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 but the one thing I think that's very interesting and that nobody really spends a lot of time focused on is I will tell you that I think that today, and maybe Mike and you will disagree with me, Axe, but today voters are more aware and more plugged into information. That does not mean they're more educated. They may be yeah, more no, informed, but they're not educated. Yeah, I mean, information should have quotes around it. Yeah, they're more plugged in, but a lot of the information is, you know, yeah. insane. Batshit crazy. it's where they get it from. 
so Tony, if you were to kind of do the rough math, you've got, you know, cranks like me and kind of the quit trashing Trump, but let's move on. We get it. Our ears are ringing. So about a third, you know, 37%. Then you got another third that's pretty hardcore. And then you've got kind of the tribal lemmings that are kind of like, well, we like Trump and everything, but maybe we're like somebody else. So my point is the Trump side has more muscle, but it's not the 90-10 lock that is always, I think, portrayed. It's a little more fluid. Again, it, let's put it this way. We don't know how it's going to evolve, but there is room there for some evolution, maybe to a new improved Trump, you know, a Tom Cotton, a Dan Crenshaw, you know, there's just a lot of ways it could go rather than preordained. There, there are. And, and listen, I, you know, I know he talks about it um, and I know he teases it, but I, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know that he's going to run again in 2024. Well, let me ask you a question. We're not talking, we're talking about this as if there'll be no intervening events. Does right. it matter if he gets whacked by prosecutors in uh, New York or in uh, Washington or in uh, Atlanta or Georgia? Not with a third of them, but the question is that soft group. Um, now, what, I mean, I'm interested in, 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 in what, if any impact that would have. Honestly, so far we've gone through two impeachments. We've gone through numerous ongoing investigations. Yes, and in, in it insurrection. Hasn't, it hasn't, right, it hasn't taken any toll on his image inside the party. And I do think that given where the investigations are coming from, um, it would be very easy for them to be painted as political prosecutions, you know? And so again, everybody puts their jerseys on and everybody jumps yeah. to their side of the line. And that's what happens there. I yeah. think the investigations actually will strengthen the glue with that core 27%. Yeah. And the Q non 10 they're you know, they think it's all space lasers. So that gives them a third. By the way, you should send that 10% number to Kevin McCarthy, uh, because he's, he's got a couple of QAnoners in his caucus who are going to become very famous, I suspect, in the upcoming campaign. They're going to give him an aluminum foil gavel and try to bridge I... the divide. <laughs> Tony, if people want to read uh, the study you put out, we will put it up on at Hacks on Tap on Twitter, our essential Twitter feed. But you have a website or something people can download and read it? They could go to our corporate le- website, which is www.fabriziolee.com. All right. That was fascinating. We ate up our mailbag time, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't send us questions. Next week, we'll maybe do an extra jumbo mailbag to catch up. Hacks on tap at gmail.com. Hacks on tap at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Q.com, anywhere you listen to this podcast. We appreciate your ratings and sharing it with your friends. Tony, good to have you, brother. You should come back. I would welcome the opportunity to come back and we can talk more about the future of the Republican Party and everyday events in politics. Next time you come back, we can, we'll throw you the questions from listeners who say, why are you having Tony Fabrizio on your, uh, your podcast? <laughs> but, but we're glad to yes, have you. Yes, that evil man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> evil it, man. Is, it is good to hear your voice again, Tony. Thanks for doing this, man. We'll get you back. Thank you, guys. Take care, Axe. See you next week. 